freaking auto! This is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Dave Hewitt just punched me in the kidney. On Seattle Sports. We're going to excuse you from the interview. It not really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Good morning. It is actually Maura Dooley and Justin Barnes in here with you for the first hour. We are going to have Brady Henderson, um, our ESPN Seahawks reporter here in town, and Brock Heward in later. Um, but you are stuck with us for the first hour because uh, Sulk finally has his dog. Yeah, it's puppy day. It's well, puppy we, day. It was supposed to be puppy day yesterday. We don't actually know. Did, you, did we get a text late last night that it happened? I, I mean, I assumed he was just uh, not texting us because he knew that we had to get up at 4 a.m. still. Yeah. But, but I guess it was it was pushed back a couple times yesterday. So hopefully he finally got his puppy. This has been a a, a long, a kind of a saga that he's he's been waiting and waiting. A saga is a good way to Almost it. Uh, apparently tried to book like a, the craziest trip ever where he had multiple flights and a road trip to go get it when it when the, the snowstorm delayed it a couple weeks ago. Her, I should say. I guess we could say her. He, we know the name, but he doesn't want to reveal that yet. Yes, he's going to do that he's first. Gonna... I, I love the. I'm, I love though that how much he paints me as the crazy person for the way that I do some of my travels. But he's like, yeah, I'm going to do like a four leg, <laughs> crazy uh, fly into frozen yeah. Memphis and drive a rental car and then drive to another state to take another. It's like, come on, dude. I. It's I love I love dogs, but he's been very he's had a very childlike excitement about this Seriously. puppy for a long time. Uh, I'm sure we will hear all about it tomorrow. So, well, today is congratulations yeah. to the Salk family. Yes, on their new puppy. And if they're having their fur to fur contact day. Then great fur to fur contact. Someone texted that in. I was like, that's pretty perfect. I know that's for, he's that's what it is. Told us how hairy he is quite he said, often. He said it's a bonding day. So. <laughs> he got to have his, his championship weekend free of not having to get up early on a Monday. Good for him. That is good for him. Yeah. And then we will have Brock back. He was on vacation last week. That was much deserved after, you know, he is a very busy man during football season. So uh, I think he was in Mexico. We'll hear how that was. Um, but now we're going to get into the games from yesterday. Well, I guess for, at first we should update you a little bit on the coaching search because we've had a lot of listeners pretty excited about Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator. And up until now, we kind of didn't know if the Seahawks had interest in him because they did not request a first interview, but it was a pretty tight turnaround in order to do that with Pete Carroll when he got fired. There was only a couple-day window where they could have done that. Yeah. Um, and so we did get confirmation from Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter over the weekend that the Seahawks are interested in Mike McDonald. And had the Ravens won, they even possibly could have waited to hire a coach to talk to him after the Super Bowl. But now they don't have to. Um, but it is down to just the Commanders and the Seahawks with vacancies right now. And the Commanders have already set a meeting with Mike McDonald tonight. And this that would be their second meeting. The well, Seahawks have not spoken to him yet. And based on everything that I've heard over the over the weekend and what we heard on the TV copy last night of the game, isn't Ben is Ben Johnson still considered to be the leading head the candidate favorite in Washington? Or am I That was what the reports were that surfaced Friday, but Adam Schefter um put out an article yesterday where he said he said multiple sources insist that that's not true. Okay. They also did a second interview with Dan Quinn. So uh right now you are are fighting for some of the same finalists. As the commanders, Ben okay. Johnson, Mike McDonald, and Dan Quinn specifically, because the Seahawks did also have second interviews with Ijiro Evero, Mike Kafka, and Patrick Graham, so they mm-hmm. could still be in the running. But the other three are the ones that you are okay 
and reportedly in competition directly with the commanders for. And I know that we're going to get into this a lot later. I know Brock and Brady are going to spend the th- probably three hours on this. But and I asked this yesterday. Did yesterday's performance of both Ben Johnson or Ben uh, Johnson, obviously with the Lions, and Mike McDonald, the Ravens, did either of those two have a better day in your mind yesterday? Um, like, so let's I, just pretend. Let's just pretend that recency bias matters right now. Yeah, I. I mean. I, I guess if I had to pick one, to me, Ben Johnson had the better day, but I was not down on Mike McDonald's performance. I, I mean, the the Chiefs scored a little off the bat, but to hold Patrick Mahomes to six possessions without a score in the second half, yeah. I really think the Ravens' offense needed to step up and help him out there. But you saw f- a couple of things you didn't like, right? I, yeah, I, I just, in the biggest moments, the, the undisciplined nature of the way the Ravens looked at that, it looked yesterday, was... A lot for me. I also know that probably speaks more to the head coach than it does to the coordinator. Yeah. As in our group chat yesterday, as Salk said, like, I know he can decoordinate. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. But just something about it yesterday. And I realized that the way people reacted to the Dan Quinn final game, it's like, can you not apply the same mental filters that you did for that to this? Because he did not have the best showing yesterday. Well, I think Dan Quinn, it's combined with the fact that a lot of people here maybe want to move on to something fresh and new. And they think Dan Quinn brings some of the past back. Yeah. And then you see that performance with Dallas, but I don't know. I, well, I thought a lot of the, I mean, Zay flowers back to back to back had some of those undisciplined (laughs) issues. It was a, it was a rough day for him. Um, I guess there were a couple on the defense, but I, I, I was still pretty impressed with how they lock down. Cause to me, one of the big things I want to see for the Seahawks is in-game adjustments. Sure. It drove me nuts that they weren't able to do a lot of that this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be fair, at the end of the game for the Ravens, they did spend 15, an entire quarter longer on the field. They, the time of possession battle was 37, 30 to 22, 30. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, you oh my should gosh. be legitimately gassed by the end of that game. And yeah. they just, they didn't look like they had it anymore. Well, I know, and Salk was texting us all day, despite not working. He had lots of opinions he was sending yeah. us, and he's very into the Lamar is fun to watch thing. But I, I I think he's fun to watch, but I kept saying, like, but he needs to get this offense in a rhythm. Like, I mean, he completed a pass to himself. That was amazing. But uh, he just really couldn't seem to. And they put a lot on him, even though uh, we're, we're talking about coaching candidates. Todd Monken isn't a coaching candidate for the Seahawks, the Ravens yeah. offensive coordinator. But I don't know what the heck he was doing because – they didn't run the ball at all. They put a lot on Lamar, and um, yeah, it just went pretty ugly. For yeah, them. if I would have told you at the beginning of the weekend that Lamar and Brock Purdy would have similar rushing stats, I don't think you would have believed it. And no, what in the world? Boys. Yeah, Brock Purdy breaking twenty-yard runs like it's nothing yesterday. Well, yeah, we so we will switch to that game and when talking about the coaching candidates. So we did get to see the offensive coordinator for the Lions, Ben Johnson, who the Seahawks are also looking at. They should be set to do a second interview with him this week. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of, I, I've been impressed with him the whole time. I really, I mean, to me, it's like what he's done with Jared Goff should be number one, but I also love just the creativity he has with the screen game, the way that he uses the just, running back, the way he uses tight ends. Yes. You uh, like him too. I really like him. I mean, unfortunately yesterday is going to be outshadowed by the fact that Dan Campbell just got straight up out coached 
and it's not going yeah. to look so bright on Ben Johnson as it should because you're right. They put well, and up there was a, a couple of, of big drops. Like yep, the, huge, the, uh, exactly. none of the problems were the offensive scheme. I don't think. Nope. And that Ayuk catch off the defect defender's face. I forget his name at, at this moment, but that was not his fault. <laughs> and that is no. to me the moment that, that everything turned. I realize everybody's going to point back to the fourth downs and I, I, I disagree. I think you should have taken the points there, but there is the argument for like you dance with the date that brought you and that's what got them there. They've been that way all season. That's their identity. You're going to stay to yeah. it. I still think this is the playoffs and you have a chance to go up three scores on a team and when you're on the road. You have to take the points. I agree. If it's my team, my coach, like the team I'm cheering for, I want you to take the points there. But I do think there's something to the fact that that's who Dan Campbell's been from day one. 100%. And if you if you veer from that in this situation, I think you're almost telling your players that you don't believe in totally. them. Yeah, or the message it sends you, is, yep, yep. You can't change it up all of a sudden. He's been that aggressive guy the whole time. That's part of what got them there. Um, but I know that there were a, lo- a lot of people pretty fired up about those decisions because the Lions had a chance to go up two scores there, and then within like eight minutes, the Niners had that game. Like you said, it did take some freak plays, but uh, man. 17 points. One thing I noticed in that game that I would love to see from the Seahawks is just they were both pounding the ball down each other's throats. Like Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are quite the duo, and I can't wait to see if the Seahawks could get something like that out of Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet. And then on the other side, Christian McCaffrey. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, to that point, though, for Ben Johnson, they had 182 rushing yards yesterday against that Niners defense. If that's a, a kind of thing that you can scheme for the Seahawks with the one-two punch that they have with with K nine and Charbonnet, mm-hmm. that would be very exciting to feel and see. I mean, more. they spent second round picks in back to back years on those running backs, and they, you know, they got two tackles in the draft as well. Um, you know, that was in Walker's draft as well. It, that's obviously what they want to do, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. They do need their running backs to stay healthy, which has just been a curse in recent seasons. But um, yeah, I I like Ben Johnson a lot for some of those reasons. All right. We've got a lot coming up here for you today. We are going to bring you everything you need to know next, take you a little bit around the NFL. And then we're also going to revisit some, uh, some baseball talk from Shannon Dreyer and Mike Salk that uh, happened on Friday. Some good insight on what's going on this off season And then Brady Henderson and Brock Heward will be with you at 7 o'clock. Stay tuned. This is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. The Seahawks and Commanders are the final two teams left standing without a head coach, and it appears they have some finalists in common. Both teams are reportedly interested in Dan Quinn, Ben Johnson, and Mike McDonald. Reports surfaced Friday that Ben Johnson had emerged as the frontrunner for the commander's job, but Adam Schefter says he has sources that say that's not true. The Seahawks had second interviews last week with Dan Quinn, Ejiro Evero, Mike Kafka, and Patrick Graham. They plan to have a second interview with Ben Johnson this week, and then reports heated up over the weekend that they will be trying to get an interview with Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. They have not had their first interview with him yet, and the commanders have a scheduled second interview with him tonight. Get it done. Get it done. <laughs> Talk to everyone. I know the Senior Bowls this week. That's like a big, uh, big scouting event for John Schneider. You think they want to wrap this up here soon? Speaking on behalf of all Seahawks fans who are so upset that when they found out that they never got their first interview with McDonald. Get it done. <laughs> Go. All right, and then the championship games. As we touched on, the 49ers overcame a 17-point halftime deficit to defeat the Lions, 34-31. 
The Lions went for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal early in the second half that would have put them up 27-10, to and the Niners took over from there. Dan Campbell was asked about that decision after the game. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and not letting them play long ball. You know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. And I wanted to get the upper hand back. And it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know. I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard because, you know, they didn't. We didn't come through. It wasn't able to, to work out. But I just, I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. But it just didn't work out. Wow. We are. He sounds broken. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to dig much deeper into that decision later with Brock. The Ravens fell 17-10 to the Chiefs. The two teams traded scores early before both defenses tightened up. Baltimore offensive coordinator Todd Monken puzzled everyone by only running the ball with his running back six times when they were one of the best rushing teams all season. Facing a 28th-ranked Chiefs defense, they actually have a pretty good secondary, so it's puzzling what he decided to do. A couple of mistakes from Zay Flowers and Lamar Jackson down the stretch sealed the win for the Chiefs, despite not scoring in the second half. Can we, can we put the put the bed? The, Here's the second thing you need to know: the Super Bowl colors logo thing. Can that be over now? Sorry, Justin. Yes, no, I think that was disproven because it was what yeah, yeah. red and purple. Yeah, it was purple. That's, that's just, so that's people just thought it was a conspiracy. The Ravens yeah. were going to go. Uh, Bob Nightingale, who's going to be joining uh, Bump and Stacey this afternoon at 12:30, is reporting the Seattle Mariners have quietly entered trade talks with Chicago White Sox for Ace Dylan. Cease with the White Sox seeking a package centered around one of the young starters, either Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. If the White Sox can't complete the trade of the Mariners, they are expected to keep Cease on their roster to start the season with them, maybe revisit some trade talks around the trade deadline or see if a team becomes, quote, desperate with a sudden injury to sign it. Uh, the Mariners also signed outfielder and former first round pick Cole Tucker to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. And as many on social media were quick to immediately point out, Tucker is the husband of high school musical star Vanessa Hudgens, yes. He also that, has some pretty great hair. That was most of the buzz that I yeah. saw yesterday. Poor guy. I know. I mean, he's, he was a pretty high draft pick. I want to say he was in the 20s of Pittsburgh. It was about, I think it was 10 years ago. It was 2014 when he got drafted. So we'll see him at spring training and those beautiful curly, curly locks. <laughs> of him or Vanessa? Of him. <laughs> have you seen the picture? Oh, the hair is so good. <laughs> Here's the third thing you need to know. The Kraken lost in overtime to the Blues Friday night, but they came out swinging against Columbus Sunday. They scored three goals in the first period, with two of those coming from Jordan Eberle on power plays and one from Jared McCann. That was his 20th goal this season, and that one was an assist from Jordan Eberle as well, who had three points in the first quarter. Sorry, first period, not quarter. The Blue Jackets scored two goals in the third, making it a little too close for comfort. But during their final push, Yanni Gord had some big block shots, and Brandon Tanev scored an empty netter to seal the 4-2 win for the Kraken. Yeah, I mean, the Friday game was tough. The Blues are a good team, too, right? Like, that's... that's Yes. Yeah, the Blue Jackets are really not a good team, so it was good that they got to get back on track. But the Sharks tomorrow, right? Yes, uh, San Jose Sharks tomorrow, um, and then the, it's the All-Star break. Yeah. So, so they won't resume play till February 10th, and that will be a uh, four-game road trip on the East Coast. So it's not going to be easy when they resume play, and um, they do need to get to work to make sure that they're going to have one of those wild card spots. Really... The Edmonton is still winning. They are on a 16-game streak right now. That is bonkers. Yeah. 
I, I mean, they are stacked. And obviously, whoever, I forget who they even hired when their new coach just came in. But that guy is clearly doing some things right with the talent that he has. And wasn't that Connor Bedard's youth coach? Or he, he was a coach for Connor at some point in his in his development stage. That sounds right. Quite good. Whatever that was done. But Kraken, I, you know, I really, really have been enjoying a lot is Joey Decord. Oh, yeah. He, I, he's been in, Yes, significant. I just wonder, it feels like they're going to have to get him some breaks at some point. He's kind of been an Iron Man <laughs> up yeah. until now. Um, so hopefully, uh, Ruby can play well when he comes in too, because I know he was activated recently, but yeah. Decord has been amazing, and I know that Brock's a big fan. Brock just seems to be a goalie fan. He's always very curious. Like, as he's learning hockey, he's very curious about the goalies and the terminology and the things that they do. He loves to say standing on their head. Yes. Well, that's a big fan. He loves to know if he's using it right, but yeah. All right. Big Decord guy. Good crack. I, I still, I think, I think I've only been to one game this year. That's quite a change from the last two. I need to get, get back on Get on that. it. I need to as well. All right, go cracking. Well, I mean, what's the next, the big break is after tomorrow's game, they don't play again until like early February, February, 10th. February 10th. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like I said, four games on the East Coast right off the bat. So that will. And they're not going to be home, be it looks like, until February 19th. Yeah. God, getting close, so close to spring training. Wow. Yeah, we will be heading there at the um, end of February. Yeah, do you get, I, I'm flying out Friday the 23rd. So if anybody's going to be in Arizona, I have the weekend. <laughs> oh, or I'm, if you need any tech help. Yeah, if you want me to come set up your <laughs> podcast at, how, at your house in Arizona, it's going to be a rare time. I'm going to have that Saturday free. I think I'm going to rent a motorcycle, maybe go see some things of in Arizona. Of course you I don't are. Know I'm do. It depends on the weather. Are you going to get a full-size one this time? Yeah. Not a I'm children's not, bike? I'm not going to get Yes. I'm not going to get a, a monkey <laughs> bike to ride around Phoenix. Although, if anybody in Phoenix has one, I would be interested in... <laughs> Meeting up with you. That sounds like a good Don't enable him. I'm very interested in that. All right. Coming up next, we are going to go through the championship games and then bring you a little baseball talk from something that uh, Shannon and Salk went. Shannon Dreyer and Salk went over on Friday. You're listening to the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. This this is Brock and Salk. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, Justin, it's time to go around the NFL. Are you ready for this? I mean, yes, it did not more. (laughs) I mean, it's a short trip around the NFL because it's just two games. I know. And and like most Seahawks and maybe all NFL fans, honestly, for this weekend, Seahawks fans, it did not go the way I wanted it to go. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us were rooting for the... Niners to no. win. No, I mean, and, and yeah. no, and nobody wants to see the Chiefs back again. Like nobody, I mean, yeah. well, especially I, you with your Travis Kelsey hatred. Oh yeah, and which version of Travis Kelsey are we gonna get in the interviews? Like, yeah, God, I just the amount of personalities living in that guy's head is just killing me, and I can't handle it. I have so much Kelsey fatigue. I don't <laughs> really mind Jason as much, obviously, but still, might, that might have something to do with the ah, Chiefs Bengals. The two teams in in the Bengals world. You couldn't hate more Ravens and Chiefs. It was like, this is just not going to work for me. This game well, is not going to work for me. And as hard as I was rooting for Lamar, he turned into Dak Prescott. At the, okay, we're going to get to all this, I know. The only reason I'm happy is that I, I am still, I guess, maybe alive in our playoff pool because I did pick the Niners to win, but I had a nine, Niners-Ravens Super Bowl. I'd only gotten one wrong up until this week, and the Cowboys. You, don't tell me you had the Niners winning the Super Bowl in your pool, did you? I did. Yeah. More, uh, Sorry. 
Okay. What do we got? <laughs> what happened this weekend? I wasn't. I blacked out. I missed it. <laughs> All right. Let's start off with the uh, the game you hate the most, the Ravens Chiefs. Yeah. Things got quite chippy between the Ravens and Chiefs pregame with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes repeatedly chucking Justin Tucker's gear out of the way while he was trying to warm up. I think he was doing it on their side of the field, so I believe he was being a little antagonistic there. But did you catch any of that? Yeah, and I was confused as to who really started it. Do we have... Do you know? Because what I was told is that Tucker was there first. Holmes came out and started working yeah. out around it. But I think from what I read, another player said kickers have been doing this for a while to try to get in the get other team's head. Like, I I think he chose what was their side of the field to do it. Huh. We'll have to ask Brock what the uh, unspoken rules are on that. But Yeah, especially in your home stadium. That was the other thought I had was like, well, if this is what yeah. he does at his stadium every week, then it's fine. Yeah. Or is this Mahomes being a jerk? Because Mahomes could always like move, o- move over a few feet to throw those passes to you. So. Sure could. I don't, they were, it was, it, uh, it was a little bit silly. It, it didn't petty. seem like it was uh, anything too serious, but they did it repeatedly. <laughs> Every time he turned around, they were just chucking his placeholder. I know. And the, before the game even started, there was looking like there was some face mask grabbing and some jawing. Like it, yeah. It was going to be that way the whole game. Well, the Chiefs struck first with the Ravens uh, punting on their first possession. Andy Reid decided to go for it on fourth and two, and Patrick Mahomes found Travis Kelsey for a 13-yard conversion. Three plays plays later, Mahomes hit Kelsey again for this 19-yard touchdown. I have a single snap inside the 25. Here's Kansas City from the 19, throwing at the goal line, and it's caught by Kelsey for the touchdown. And it was... He ended up breaking Jerry Rice... Jerry Rice's record for most postseason catches in history, in NFL history, in the first half. Jerry Rice had 151. Unbelievable. Another game over 100 yards. He's unstoppable. <laughs> you sound so happy. I'm, I cannot. I and, just kind of love it because I feel like uh, Justin doesn't dislike anyone, and this is like the one person that gets you riled up. Well, it's obvious why. Like the way he handled the whole situation after the. And I and I was embarrassed, like cringing, watching the Cincinnati mayor do what he did. But the way we responded, it was like, come on. <laughs> and I, I tweeted uh, it last night. It's like, I can't wait to hear Kelsey's nobody believed in a speech and whatever. And of course he yeah. does. And he gets up and does the fight for your right to party thing. But <laughs> all right. The Ravens answered with a 30 yard Lamar Jackson to Zay Flowers touchdown. And Isaiah Pacheco punched one in on the Chiefs next possession. It looked like a shootout was about to get underway, but a Lamar Jackson fumble on the next drive slowed that. The Chiefs then turned it over on downs, and despite this amazing play of the following drive where Lamar Jackson completed a pass to himself, the Ravens were stalled and had to punt. Second and five. Ball batted up into the air and caught by Jackson! He caught his own pass! That's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen! There's your Romo for the day. I know, God. He was having a... Actually, he wasn't bad yesterday. There was a couple, though, that were rough. And I was thinking about... I was like, does Nance just kind of let him do this to himself? Yeah, Like, after he says something, he doesn't try to jump in and save anything. He doesn't try to do, like, you want to clarify that, Tony? Nothing to try to really (laughs) help him. He just lets him sit there. Yeah. That play was bonkers. That way you don't get lumped in. Lamar is bonkers. Uh, He's insane. And, I mean, that was probably the best thing he did the whole day. Like, he he did not have... The Lamar Jackson performance, and then the, no, Lamar and the I don't playoffs. think his offensive coordinator helped him, but no. um, but he, it's definitely gonna hype up the crowd that thinks that he, you know, can't can't do it in the big games. Yeah. 
The only other score of the first half will be a 52-yard Harrison Bucker field goal to make it 17-7 Chiefs. The stout defensive play continued into the second half with the Chiefs punting three consecutive times and the Ravens two. Fort Baltimore finally got something going on their third possession with a 54-yard pass from Lamar Jackson to Zay Flowers. Flowers received a 15-yard penalty for taunting, and then three play, three play—I can't talk. Sorry, three plays later, he fumbled the ball as he reached across the goal line, which resulted in a touchback. Get an eight from the nine. Jackson to Flowers. He dives. The ball came out. It's recovered by Kansas City. Did the ball come out before he broke the plane? I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I didn't get as, like, I think some people were really down on Zay Flowers for this. I hate it when a guy does this because he's, like, showboating and trying to hold the ball behind him or something. Sure. He was trying to make a football play and reach across the goal line. It probably wasn't the smartest because it was only second down and they would have had more opportunities. But it wasn't, like, a showboating or hot-dogging situation. No, it was incredible defensive play. And, oh, yeah, Legere, Sneed, that was, like comes flying out of nowhere mid-air punches it out it was yep it's strong uh, uh cam chancellor on calvin johnson vibes if everybody's gonna remember that play at the goal line about how many years 10 years ago now yeah. um that was an incredible defensive play yeah. zay flowers obviously didn't do himself any favors before that to set himself up when he had the ball yeah at, like, when you see like those back to back it's hard not to be like what are you doing i know set your team back and then go back then go to the bench and slam something and cut your hands like yeah he had a little Jared Kelnick moment. What? Yeah. Oops. Oh, Jared Kelnick moment. <laughs> we'll talk about him later. Yeah, All right. I'm going to yeah. speed this up because we do want to get to yeah, uh, some of Sh- uh, Salk and Shannon's baseball talk after this. Um, the Ravens defense forced a punt yet again, but on second and 10 at the KC 25, Lamar Jackson threw a deep pass to the end zone in triple coverage and was picked off. The Ravens defense came up with yet another stop. They held the Chiefs scoreless on six possessions in the second half, but the offense only mustered one field goal. Mahomes hit Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling for a 32-yard pass with two minutes left that allowed them to run out the clock and win 17-10, sending the Chiefs to their fourth Super Bowl in five years. MVS showed up when it mattered finally. He, man, he had had yeah, a pretty his, rough one. His receivers had let him down a lot this year, but they uh, they were pretty good yesterday. All right, good. Move on. That game's over. Okay. Stop talking about the Chiefs. And the Lions-Niners. It only took the Lions four plays to get on the board with this Jamison Williams 42-yard end around. First down, another fake. Come on, Jamison Williams. The speedster has a block. Williams cuts up. 25-20. Still on his feet. Jamison Williams scores. The 49ers answered with a 12-play, 45-yard drive that culminated with a 45-yard missed field goal by kicker Jake Moody. The Lions marched down the field again on the ensuing possession with David Montgomery punching it in from one yard out. The 49ers responded with a running back heavy drive of their own. Outside of one pass to Debo Samuel, every play went to either Christian McCaffrey or Kyle Juszczyk. Wow. And then McCaffrey punched it in from two yards out on second and goal. And just when the 49ers finally forced a Lions punt, Brock Purdy threw a pass as he was being brought down by defenders, and it landed right in the waiting arms of Malcolm Rodriguez. Third and ten, four-man rush. Purdy in some trouble. Let's it go to the middle, and he's picked off. Rodriguez has it, breaks the tackle, and he's inside the 25. I had kind of forgotten about that play already. That game is yeah. just so much going on. It felt like it was so much all 49ers in the second half. You forget how great the line started off. So yeah. they capped off that drive with a toss to Jameer Gibbs for a 15-yard touchdown. It was 21-7 Detroit at that point. The 49ers punted on their next drive, and the Lions again marched down the field, eating up five minutes of clock and converting a third and 18. 
to kick a 21-yard field goal and make it 24-7 at the half. Both the Ravens and the Niners, incredible defenses, seem to have some some exposure early in these on two games, right? Like, yeah. there were a lot of big third downs converted by. But on, incredible on, halftime adjustments by both. They, yep. Well, yeah. I was really, really, really impressed. And maybe that's Ben Johnson scheming because of how hard and how well he mixes and, and disguises packages. But the, the big the big conversions were the alarming factor for me if I was a 49ers fan in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, there was definitely some explosives going on, and especially with the Lions run game. Um, the 49ers did open up the second half, scoring a field goal on their first drive. The Lions turned it over on downs after going for it on fourth and two at the San Francisco 28. The much maligned decision. Take the points. <laughs> on the second play of the next series, Purdy threw a deep ball to Brandon Ayuk that almost got picked, but bounced out of the defender's face mask and into Brandon Ayuk's hands at the five. And then Purdy went back to Ayuk three plays later for the six-yard touchdown to make it 24-17 Niners. And the momentum just continued to swing in San Francisco's direction from there with Jameer Gibbs fumbling on the first play of the Lions' next drive, setting the Niners up at Detroit's 25. Four plays and a 21-yard Brock Purdy scramble later. The Christian, Christian McCaffrey ran it in from the one to tie it at 24. And then the Lions weren't able to get anything going on offense their next two drives, punting once and then turning it over on downs again the next drive. Meanwhile, the 49ers tacked on a field goal to take a 27-24 lead. And then they had another big 21-yard run from Brock Purdy on third and four. Third down, four-man rush. Purdy in some trouble. Escapes, looking for the first down. He's got it in more. Brock Purdy with the legs inside the 30. Two plays later, Elijah Mitchell ran it in for the three-yard touchdown to make it 34-24. And Rap. that was That's essentially game. And when I... Blouses. It blouses. <laughs> thank you. Good Chappelle show reference. When I... That, like I said earlier, the Ayuk the bounce off the face mask catch, which I thought was a touchdown in the moment. Like, I think that's when I sent the text. I was like, this game's over. Yeah. Like, this This is... There's still down two scores. You just... That momentum swing felt it's, so heavy. It, that's it. Yeah. And when you'd hear the uh, post-game interviews of the players on the field who were like, no, for us, we knew it was when the fourth, fourth down conversion, when that failed, that was when everything shifted in their uh, momentum favor, according to the players. But to Well, me, that's it what a that lot of catch. people think. They think Dan Campbell lost it for him by going on that fourth down. But then there were some some plays after that, for sure. I mean, the play on fourth down, Jameson Williams dropped a pass, and then you have yeah, yep. that crazy Brandon Ayuk play, the, I mean, the Gibbs fumble. The, the Gibbs fumble. In the, yep, that was just handing points away when you had just elected to not take points twice. Man, Lions, we were all rooting for you. And Eminem <laughs> flipping off fans. We thought it was going to be an all-Detroit day. Can you what imagine happened? how sad those Detroit fans were? Because they had, like, sold out the lower bowl yeah. of Ford Field in Detroit. You notice they kind of stopped going to cutaways after the second half there. Yeah. Show that I saw one lady right. after the game that was, like, clapping and crying, yeah. decked out in Lions gear. But that, oh. that Lions Ford Field Stadium had to be a really sad exit. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, man. We, we had you, you had it. Now we have to watch the Niners in the Super Bowl. You see here some of the, um, you've seen some of the stuff, the 1989s and 13s that have come out after this now. Like flights from Kansas City to Las Vegas have been flight 1989. And the flight home mm. is flight 87. Hmm. You, you know who won the Super Bowl in 1989? No, I do not. Do you want to guess? <laughs> 49ers. They, uh, beat, they beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Oh, you would ask why you know. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that was your trip around the NFL this morning. Um, but we wanted to make sure uh, we squeeze in a little of this baseball talk, too. We are getting closer to spring training, as Justin said. And Shannon Dreyer and Mike Salk had a, a really good conversation on where the Mariners stand and how you would grade their offseason on Friday. So we're going to let you hear a little bit of that before Brock Heward and Brady Henderson take over. A week or so ago, Moore sent this over to me, and it's been sort of like sticking in, like I've been thinking about it a little bit since. And that is a, a grading that David Schoenfeld did. And in it, he graded uh, the Mariners offseason an F. Straight F. Fail. Okay. He says the offseason began with the dreams of Otani. Did they really? These were nice dreams, wild, vivid dreams, full of life and color and home runs. Then came word that the Mariners were not going to increase payroll, that right at a time when they needed to improve to keep up with Texas and Houston, ownership was suddenly concerned with local TV revenue. So it's led to another chaotic offseason from president of baseball operations, Jerry Depoto, uh, though it's really just been shuffling money around and not making the team any better. That was his that was his view on the Mariners offseason. He gives it an F. Is that a fair grade? I don't think so. Um, there's a lot of room <laughs> that you can go there. I mean, there are things that he says there that are absolutely true. I think on the disappointment scale and where you thought that they would be this off season three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, you did not have that big get the last three years. You were expecting it somewhere. It didn't happen. People are upset. People uh, absolutely. Rightly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This, this is not where you expected them to be at some point, And it doesn't sound like David Schoenfeld has, on that line yet but at some point you're like okay well this is where we're at we don't know this we have to separate this from we got to play a baseball season next year Mm -hmm. and by the way fair or not as a team as an organization our expectations have not changed and and so at that point it is all put in the hands of jerry depoto and justin hollander and to give them an f yeah, see, I, that's where I drew a huge difference. I don't necessarily like, give either group an F. An F is like Oakland. Oakland gets an F. Oakland is not going to be competitive. They're moving. I mean, like, that's an F. Right. So maybe I just have a little bit different scale than Schoenfeld, but I would give the Mariners a C- minus, maybe a D-plus for their offseason in general. It hasn't been very good. They don't look appreciably better than they did last year. They look a little different. But I don't know that I could say they look appreciably better. They might be a little bit better, but it doesn't seem like the likely outcome is that they're 10 games better than they were a year ago. That would call, that would be a surprise if they ended up being significantly better than they were last year and winning 100 games. Would you agree? Well, I don't know if the goal was winning 100 games. I mean, you want to get to the postseason and what's it going to take to get there and what have they done to put themselves in that position? I, I think that... I probably think that they are a little more improved than you think they are. Uh, I think there may be a win or two better, depending on how things go. And and I guess to finish my statement here, while I would give them a C minus overall, maybe a D plus, I'd give Jerry and Justin an A minus or a B plus for what they've done, given the constraints and limitations around them. They are shortchanged on payroll, and that happened at the last minute, which I think is incredibly difficult. They pivoted well. They've kept the team similar or maybe slightly better and done so while saving $13 million so far that they can still spend in order to make it a little bit better along the way. And they've kept all of their young pitching intact. So I think what they've done is, quite frankly, almost a masterstroke in dealing with the challenges presented to them. But overall, 
I don't know that I can say they look significantly better than they did a year ago. If you were going to tell me that you were going to be sitting on, what is it, the 26th? I think it's Friday. It is. Okay. <laughs> I, I never know where I am or what day it is. Uh, if you were going to tell me you were sitting where you are right now without having touched one of your young pitchers, without having dipped into your farm system at all, which I don't know if that's even fair because nobody's interested in that this year, mm-hmm. if you've noticed anybody's farm system. These are all you know, MLBers for MLBers on the trade front, which has been a limited trade front in, instead. But if you were able to do that and fill all of your needs – unspectacularly these you know you, you people what about third base what about second base and you know you look up and down lineups and everybody has got a weakness somewhere and the mariners are able to roll out a complete team right now mm-hmm. and they do have some strengths and we can get into it a little bit later if you look at the projections right now uh, people who don't look at projections are going to be pretty shocked at where the mariners are on a couple of different projection like where? systems uh first base um, I'm laughing at third base. They they aren't they aren't they're proje- not terrible. They're they are not projected to have the worst third baseman <laughs> in in the division. Do you know who does? Uh, no. Oakland. Do you know who their third okay. baseman is? No. Who, by the way, I give a G or an H for what <laughs> know, they yeah. did what's, this what's year. Below an F? I just yeah. keep going. I don't know who Oakland's third baseman Abe is. Abe Toro. No. Oh, that's, that's sad. <laughs> He's back. That's not what you're looking for. Uh, but it, for them to be able to uh, fill the needs that they had and not have to, it, under the constrictions and restrictions that they were under and not have to give up anything significant for their future. Uh, I think uh, absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And and you're not a thing that I get so much, and I think maybe you're there a little bit because there are some question marks about the players that they brought in. This is not Tommy LaStella. This is not A.J. Pollock. This is not Colton Wong. They have very much upgraded what they brought in from those players. You can lay out their numbers. They've done much better. And I think you can say you look in terms of OPS, in terms of WRC+, plus. In terms of strikeouts, they've upgraded Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez, not necessarily at those positions, but overall with what they've brought in. And probably if you were going to count regression for them, I think that's another step that takes them beyond where they were at the end of last year in particular. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not down necessarily on it all, Shannon, but taken as a whole, it's a disappointment. And, you know, coming off of the disappointment of last year, there were opportunities for the team to improve more than they have this year. Is, you know, is third base going to be better than some folks think? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've brought in a capable third baseman who, if he's healthy, is probably better than most of us realize. But was he the best option available? Or could they have done more if given a healthier budget to try to bring stuff in? Did they bring in Juan Soto? No. Did they bring in? I mean, there were legitimate players, bats, known quantities that were available to them, to anybody, that they opted not to pursue or to go after or to, you know, end up getting. So do I think that they could be better than last year? Yes. Do I think that they're as good as they could have been if given a full budget to to do it? No. And that's why, to me, you can't get better than a C for what you've done in the offseason. Okay, well, you've just twisted it because now I, I'm taking it as two no, different things. No, I know. You're things. going back to the I'm Jerry taking DePoto it as thing. two different things no, I am completely. Too. Yeah, th- and, yes, there's a lot more they could have done if they spent. It's a so hard. This, no this, the subtlety of this conversation is hard 
because the moment you say, hey, given the constraints of what they were under, I think they did pretty well. There's a group of people that think you are ignoring the obnoxious constraints. And if you only say, hey, this is absolute garbage, this team is going to be awful, you're ignoring the fact that given the constraints, the GM actually did a pretty good job of trying to improve the team. But it's very, very difficult to argue that little sliver right in between those two points. Well, sometimes you have to separate kind of the fan side. And that's something I learned this winter. And it's good to get back in touch with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my fandom, I'm a Husky fan. And that's when I get, you know, that's when I get angry about things. That's when it gets personal. That's when I get irrational sometimes. And that's when my expectations fly sky high. And I don't want to hear anything other than they should be this. And you're not talking me off of that ledge. Uh, With the Mariners, that's different. I cover the Mariners. I want them to do well. I want Seattle fans to to have something to grasp onto and to totally, you know, you want them to do well because of what it does for everybody around them. But... You For me, I have to separate, again, draw that line. Well, they're going to have to play baseball now. Where are they? And where were they? And I think that you can sit down and you can analytically break it down and you can crunch the numbers. And I think that if you do look at that, I do think by the numbers and on paper, they are better than they were at the end of last year. And perhaps moving in a better direction, too, in some of the moves that they made. Yeah. And, uh, again, to the, uh, you know, the grade – the fact that Jerry DePoto was able to turn Robbie Ray into something, not just turn that into something, Remarkable. but also, you know, the concept of we're spending too much on pitching right now, regardless of how much we're spending. And mm-hmm. we would like them to spend everything and get everybody. But he was right. They were unbalanced with that and able to take that and hopefully put that more into offense. I, I think that that was important. All right, that was our Mariners insider, Shannon Dreyer, in with Sulk all day on Friday. So um, I know we've had some people that have been sad that we've been pretty football heavy in recent weeks with spring training coming up. So if you uh, want to hear some more baseball talk, you can go back and listen to Friday's podcast. But we are going to get back into football coming up next. We've got Brady Henderson in with Brock Salk, and we're going to give you the latest on the Seahawks coaching search. That's next on the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.